Welcome to the City Reach Baptist podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, I love a good mystery. Who here loves a good mystery? Well, when it comes to the story of Christmas, one of the most mysterious aspects of the story concerns the wise men, the magi. Now, we've become so used to seeing the wise men in Christmas plays and, of course, singing about them in the famous Christmas carol, We Three Kings, that we miss the essential mystery that surrounds them. I mean, their story is only recorded in Matthew's Gospel, and, and it flies in in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1, and then mysteriously, these characters fly out in verse 12 of the same chapter, never to appear again. So this Christmas Eve, I want to unwrap the mystery of the Magi. That's right, I want to unwrap the mystery of the Magi. I want to look at who they were, secondly, what was the star that guided them, and finally, the gifts, what were their significance? So who were the Magi, the star that guided them, what was that all about? And finally, the gifts, what were their significance? Well, first, let's look at the Magi, who were they? Well, Matthew introduces us to these mysterious characters in this way. He says in verse 1 of chapter 2 of his gospel, Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, the very first myth that we can dispel straight away about the Magi was that they were there with the shepherds on the night that Jesus was born. We tend to think that on the night that Jesus was born, there was Jesus, there was Mary and Joseph, there was the cattle, and then there was the wise men. Yet in this text, you can clearly see that it says that it was after Jesus was born in Bethlehem that wise men from the east came from Jerusalem. So they were not there that very first night that Jesus was born. I know it makes for a great uh, nativity setting on the mantle, but it is not historically true. They were not there the very first night that Jesus was born. But if they didn't arrive that very first night that Jesus was born, when did they arrive? Well, no one really knows. It might have been the next day. It may have been a few months later. Some people think over a year later. One hint that we're given in the text is that when they do arrive in verse 11, Jesus is with his mother in a house in Bethlehem, so they're no longer in a stable, they're now in a house at least. The Eastern Orthodox tradition, they have a tradition that the wise men came 12 days after Christmas on January the 6th. And this is where you probably have heard of the story, the 12 days of Christmas, you know? Have you heard of that famous story, the 12 days of Christmas? On the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. That's right. And then the song details all of these other gifts that were given. You see, traditionally, the 12 days of Christmas start on December the 25th, and they run right through to January the 6th, which is Epiphany, the, the day of the appearing of Jesus to the Gentiles. But that's only tradition. And these wise men, as we said, they could have arrived any time, but the only time that they didn't arrive was on the very night that Jesus was born. Further, another myth that needs to be busted straight away about the wise men is the number of wise men. 
we tend to think that there was only three. And the idea of there being three wise men comes from the fact that later in the story, there are three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so most of the pictures of the wise men are these kings that are dressed up in medieval garb and crossing the deserts. You know, tradition says that their names were Melchanon and Belthazar and Gaspar. And according to one report, one of them was an Ethiopian, one of them was an Indian, and one of them was Greek. It's also been claimed that they were all baptized by the Apostle Thomas. And a bishop in the 12th century, actually, he claimed to have found their skulls. Apparently, you can go to like a cathedral in Cologne, Germany, and you can find relics from the wise men. But that is also all just myth. It's all just conjecture. You see, nothing could be further from reality. There is no way that these magi traveled a thousand kilometers across the desert by themselves. In those days, the only way that you traveled across the desert was in a large caravan of camels. At minimum, they would have brought with them a full military escort. So the total party would have been over 300 men. So there were not three, but probably 300. So this is busted as well. And the very fact that when they arrived, they made Herod so nervous. It must have been a momentous occasion when they came into Jerusalem. Certainly, it would have been more likely if 300 men came into Jerusalem that that would have caused the nervousness of all of Jerusalem and in Herod. So the Magi, they did not come on the night that Jesus was born. There was not three of them, and they were not kings, as the song suggests. So who were these Magi, and where did they come from? Well, as the text says, they came from the east. East of Jerusalem is Persia, and it's interesting that the term Magi is a Persian word, and it's used to describe a special class of priests in the Persian Empire. The same term is used in the book of Daniel. The Magi in Daniel's time were these scholars of the day who were scholars in medicine and mathematics and religion and prophecy and astronomy. They were the educated elite of the time. So when you're thinking of the Magi, don't think of a medieval king, rather think of a Middle Eastern astrologer. Now, what prompted them to search for the king of the Jews? Well, as it says in the text, they saw the star and they came to worship him. Now, we're going to talk about the star in a few moments, but why were they even looking for the king of the Jews? Why did they even know to interpret this star as meaning that a king had come? Well, I'd like to suggest to you that their history and the history of the Jews had been intermingled. You see, the Jews had spent 70 years in exile in Babylon, and then Babylon was conquered by the Persians. And as I said, Daniel had been a leading figure in the Persian Empire. And so maybe this Persian elite, these magi, had been influenced by the teaching and prophecies of Daniel. You know, as a church, earlier this year, we spent time studying the book of Daniel, and we saw in the book of Daniel that Daniel incredibly prophesied the coming of a number of world empires. He prophesied the coming of the Persian Empire, then the coming of the Greek Empire, then the coming of the Roman Empire. And then he prophesied that a king would come over whose kingdom there would be no end. And so maybe these magi, influenced by Daniel's teaching, when they saw this star in the sky, they could not ignore its significance. So what do the magi teach us? 
Well, I think they teach us a very important lesson. They teach us not to ignore the signs that God might be sending. You know, the Magi were magicians. They were Persian astrologers. You could not get more of a group that might think they're on the outside with God. And maybe you're here tonight and you think that you're on the outside with God, that you and God are just, you know, in, in the bad books. You're in the bad books with God and on the outside with God and God could never accept you. But if God is seeking you and he's giving you signs, don't ignore those signs. You know, the Magi went to extraordinary lengths to seek out the truth of who Jesus was and their seeking was rewarded. And if you seek out the truth of who Jesus is, you will be rewarded. So that's who the Magi were. Well, now let's look at the star. What was it? As we said, the star, uh, they traveled a thousand kilometers looking, following the star for the newborn king. So what was this star? Well, some have looked at natural explanations for this star that guided the Magi. For example, some have said that it was Halley's Comet. Now, I remember seeing Halley's Comet when I was a boy in the 80s. Who here remembers Halley's Comet? My dad took me outside very early in the morning, and it was before the sun had come up, and he said, look, there's Halley's Comet. And I just made out like I could see it. I really couldn't see anything in the sky. So I don't think it was Halley's Comet. I don't think that was this light in the sky. Others have suggested that what this star was was that this star was a star that had gone supernova. Apparently, when a star goes supernova, it can flood the night sky with brilliant light. But supernovas are incredibly rare and unpredictable. Well, others have suggested that this was an alignment of the planets. This is probably the most popular theory. Some have suggested that in 7 BC, as they trace it back, Jupiter, Mars, and Saturn would have come together in a very rare way that only occurs every 125 years, lighting up the night sky. But the timing is not quite right. This happened in 7 BC. And surely these learned men would have known about the alignment of the planets. However, besides not fitting very well all of these natural explanations, I think they all have a much bigger problem. You see, they fail to explain while the Magi saw it, but the people of Israel didn't. They failed to explain why the Magi were overcome by it, but the people of Israel were not moved by it. You know, the people who lived at this time, they didn't have TVs, and so at night they would go out and they would look up at the scars. And if this was a naturally occurring phenomenon that everyone in the world could see and it was of such magnitude that it got the Magi's attention, then surely it would get the attention of the people of Israel. You see, I would like to suggest to you that this star was actually not a naturally occurring phenomenon. The word star in Greek is actually a pretty generic word that actually means light. And so I would like to suggest to you that rather than this just being a naturally, natural phenomenon, I would like to suggest to you that this was a supernatural light that was placed there specifically by God for the Magi to see. You know, it's interesting that this light was promised hundreds of years before the coming of Jesus. It was prophesied that a light would come before Jesus. In Numbers 24, verse 17, a man named Balaam prophesied this. He said, a star will come from Jacob and a scepter will rise from Israel. And further, the prophet Isaiah prophesied 
in Isaiah 60 this. Look at this as it comes up on the board. He said, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the people's. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen on you, and the nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. So it's prophesying, prophesying that when Messiah comes, there will be this light on Messiah that will join the nations, that will encourage the nations to come to him. But notice this down in verse 6. This is really, really interesting. Look at this. It says, A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephath, all those from Sheba shall come. And look at this. They shall bring what? Gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. So it was prophesied that at the coming of the Messiah, the glory of God would shine upon him and the nations would come to his light. So I don't think that this was any natural phenomenon, but rather it was a supernatural light put there by God for these magi so that they could see Jesus, the Messiah. You know, later in the narrative in verse 9, we read that this light or this star guided the magi to the exact house where Jesus was staying. That's not a natural thing, is it? That a light would come and guide you exactly to the exact house where Jesus was. No, this sounds a lot more like the Lord and how he would guide Israel by a pillar of fire by day and by a cloud by night. So what was the star? It was a supernatural light put there by God to get the Magi's attention. I would like to suggest to you that God is in the business of getting your attention, that he wants to get your attention. You see, God doesn't want any to perish, but he wants all to come to him. And so he's in the business of getting people's attention. And every time we hear a story of someone who's come to know God, they always talk about how God engineered the circumstances of their life so that they would be able to come to him. Maybe God is trying to get your attention. Are you responding to him? Are you turning to him? Well, we've looked at the Magi, who they were, and we've looked at the star, what it was. And finally, we're going to look at the gifts and what their significance was. So in the story, the Magi, they come to Jerusalem and they ask, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? And we read this in verse 3, that when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Now, the reason that Herod was troubled was because he was the king. And this newborn king was questioning his authority and challenging his authority. You know, that's why people are today disturbed by Jesus. Because Jesus, he doesn't just come into our lives, but he comes to be king of our lives. And it's a very disturbing thing to give up authority over to Jesus. And so in Herod gathers in verse 4 the chief priests and the scribes, and he inquires of them when the, when the Messiah is going to be born. And the scribes, they don't have to look it up. They already know the answer. 700 years earlier, the prophet Micah had predicted the Messiah's birth. In verse 5, we read this. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judea. For you shall have a ruler who will shepherd your people, Israel. 
You know, the spiritual state of these priests and these scribes is a sobering reminder that the knowledge of the Scriptures is not enough. The chief priest and the scribes should have known where Messiah was to be born, but they did not, even though they knew where he was to be born, they did not search him out. You know, mere knowledge of the Bible is not good enough. You can know the text but miss the point. And so Herod summons the Magi and he says to them, go and search diligently for the child and when you found him, bring me the word that I may come and worship him. Obviously, Herod is not going to worship, but rather he intends to kill uh, Jesus. But in verse 9, we read this. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house... They saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. So the gifts, what was their significance? Well, well, these gifts were actually symbolic in nature. You see, gold was given to kings, and Jesus was the true king. Frankincense was used in the temple in the sacrifices. And so this gift was given to Jesus because it was symbolic of the fact that he was divine. He was not just any other child. He was Emmanuel, God with us. And finally, myrrh recognizes Jesus' humanity. You know, this is quite fascinating, particularly in light of the appearances of myrrh in the Gospels. Jesus was presented with myrrh as a king in the cradle, However, in Mark 15, verse 23, when Jesus was being hoisted on the cross, Mark tells us that they offered him wine mixed with myrrh. So not only was Jesus presented with myrrh as a king in a cradle, but he would be offered myrrh as a king on a cross. And in John 19, verses 38 to 42, when Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea were presenting Jesus' body for burial in the tomb, they used myrrh to anoint him. You see, Jesus, right from the very beginning, was born to die. He was sent to die for our sins. So Jesus is the true king. Jesus is divine. And Jesus was sent to die for us. But I think that these gifts were also an expression of the heart of the Magi. You see, whereas King Herod had been threatened by Jesus and wanted to eliminate him from his life, the Magi responded with great joy, and it says they bowed down. They surrendered themselves to Jesus, and they worshipped him. You see, there are only really two responses to Jesus. Either you ignore him and eliminate him from your life, or you recognize who he is as king, who he is as God, who he is and what his death accomplished for you, and you bow down before him and you worship him. So the mystery of the Magi is not really a mystery at all. Who were these Magi? They were people like you and me, people who need Jesus. What was the star? It was God's means of showing them the identity of Jesus. And what were the gifts? The gifts demonstrate who Jesus is and how we should respond to Jesus. How should we respond to Jesus? 
by bowing down and worshipping him as king and as Lord. Well, this Christmas, maybe you need to bow down and worship Jesus as king and Lord of your life. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the message of the Magi. We thank you that they demonstrate to us the amazing grace, your amazing grace, that people just like us who need you. And we thank you that you came to rescue all people through your son, Jesus. And I pray for anyone here tonight who is investigating and just you're seeking to get their attention. I pray that they would turn to you and seek you out like these magi dear. Because the promise is, is that if we seek you, uh, we will actually find you if we seek you with all our heart. Thank you for the message of Christmas and thank you for the joy that it brings into our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.